You know, fashion has always been that symbol of status and privilege. And uh, Italian men have always been known as the leading fashionistas. Those guys that uh, you just think, wow, they're dressed so well. But uh, before there was Gucci, before there was Armani, before there was Versace, there was Bernadone, early 1200s, Francesco Bernadone. Oh, he could dress in his little Italian village of Assisi. King of fashion he was, and friends flocked to him. He could throw an amazing party. And he was very generous with his father's wealth and his father's clothing line. And so Francis had this incredible reputation as a party animal and a really, really nice dresser. And he loved it. He loved his status. He loved his privilege. But there was one empty spot in him. Francis longed for knighthood. He wanted glory in the battlefield. And his first chance came, age 21, when the merchants of Assisi went to war against the nobles of Perugia nearby town. This was it. Francis got decked out, got his armor, uh, and the youth of Assisi went out to meet the nobles of Perugia and the people they had hired, their mercenaries, and were roundly defeated. Bodies strewn over the battlefield. But Francis, they recognized as someone who had wealth. They looked at his clothes. They said, let's keep this guy for ransom. So Francis was captured and lived in this dank underground prison. Took six months before they finally got word to his family, we've got your son. Another six months before Francis's parents arranged for his ransom and release. And in the meantime, uh, Francis contracted malaria and dysentery. And this young, not-so-well-dressed man now of privilege experienced forms of suffering he didn't even know were possible. But more than the dysentery and the malaria, Francis suffered deep, deep depression. He came back to Assisi, just a shadow of the kid that had left. It's like all the joy of debauchery had left him, was swallowed up in this terrible suffering, this deep clinical depression, this set of illnesses, probably a, a PTSD that he was experiencing. And life lost its meaning for Francesco Bernadone of Assisi. Well, uh, about 1205, a nobleman passed through Assisi, and he was on his way to the Fourth Crusade. This was it. This was like the escape hatch for Francis's depression. And he almost became manic, like, I'm doing this. Oh, he got the best outfit, the most amazing armor, and the best horse money could buy. He was going to go to the Fourth Crusade and achieve this 
blank spot that he had in his soul. <laughs> well, here's what happened, David Colo. He had a dream that night. And in this dream, a man led him into a palace. It was filled with bright armor and shields and spears. And when he awoke, Francis thought, I'm going to be a great prince. And his family and friends could see that this guy was now manic. He was excited. They asked about it. He told them. He boasted. I know I'm going to be a great prince. So he suits up, takes off with the nobleman, and doesn't get more than a couple dozen miles outside of Assisi, and he's struck down with the malarial fever that he suffers his entire life. And he's in this fevered delirium, and he's nauseous. And he has this vision, now not a dream, in his waking mind. He hears a voice. Francis, what are you doing? And he says to the voice, I'm, I'm going to go be a knight. And the voice says, why are you following the master instead, or the servant instead of the master? Go back to Assisi. And you can imagine Francis's defeat when he goes back to his friends and family just a day after he leaves, boasting how he's going to come back, this amazing prince and this knight. And a day later, here he comes back, defeated, depressed again, this time even deeper. We're doing this series on joy. And it seems only fair that we acknowledge that life does not come with success all the time, that, that, that we carry both joy and suffering and sadness and sorrow together. We don't experience just joy for months or years on end or just suffering for months or years on end. They come as a package. They're tied together. How do we hold both well? Um, I want you to take a moment and look back over the last few months. Are there places where, like Francis, an illness that just won't go away, just keeps on, the doctors don't know what's going on or there's no cure for it, unfulfilled desires, disappointments, these things that you thought, surely by now I would have, and it just hasn't happened. Or maybe there are ways in which you carry the sorrow of others, family member or loss, and that just sits on you. Just for a moment, become present to those things. You don't have to let them rule you. But I'm not going to talk about joy and pretend like they're not there or try to mask over them. Just say, I see you there. You can acknowledge it. What is that? Is there a disappointment? Is there an illness? Is there a secondary trauma that you're carrying from someone else, a sorrow, a broken relationship? Acknowledge it. Become present to that. In that year of 1205, there were two things that happened to Francis that changed things dramatically for him. The first was an encounter with a leper. 
Francis is riding along the road, and there's a leper up ahead. And Francis's immediate reaction, like anyone in the medieval world, is repulsion. This is a person whose flesh is rotting off that you can smell before you see that kind of uh, and, and highly contagious disease. And something happens that hadn't happened before for this young man of Assisi wrestling with PTSD and depression. He feels this overwhelming urge to embrace the leper. Gets down off his horse. Leper hands out his hand. Francis dumps whatever change he has, whatever money he has into the hand, and wraps his arms around this leper and kisses him. Something was going on. It was a mystical experience of joy in the midst of suffering, in the midst of this leper's suffering, probably a young person, leper, suffering. He's feeling some kind of mystical joy. The second thing that happened that year So as he was on an errand, he went by uh, the chapel of San Damiano at the base of Assisi, the the foot of the hill on which Assisi was built. It was dilapidated. It was falling apart. It was neglected like this leper. Its flesh was falling off of it. Francis goes and takes shelter on a hot day in the summer of 1205. And he looks up at the cross, which miraculously has survived. A priest is keeping this chapel alive. Um, And Francis hears the voice that he says later was tender and kind of the crucified Christ. Francis, the voice says, can't you see that my house is falling apart? Go and rebuild it. Something clicks. There is a sense of purpose for Francis of Assisi, a sense of meaning in life. This idea of caring for lepers, and Francis and his friends eventually live in a leper colony, and restoring broken down chapels, it changes Francis. He's able to hold both suffering and joy together. Somehow, his capacity to be a container for these things is expanded. It's the presence of Jesus, in this case, on the cross, in the chapel in San Damiano, and in the leper. Something about the presence of Christ that increases his capacity to hold the suffering that he holds in his body the rest of his life, Many assume that Francis uh, later in life um, gets the stigmata, the, the, the wounds of Christ, and many believe it was the leprosy he had contracted because of how much time he had spent uh, in leper communities. And the sense of purpose, presence of Christ, purpose. And all of his buddies, his carousing buddies, are mystified by his joy and start following him. And they're known as guys who just loved to sing. They were just like an a cappella group, and they were they just couldn't contain it. They were minstrels. They were known as minstrels. So much was their joy, even in the midst of the suffering that they embraced. They had that ability. What would it be like for us 
to be able to hold joy and suffering without trying to paste over the suffering, nor allowing it to dictate, rule, dominate, be the source of our identity. Like, how do you do that? How do you hold those things well? I want to give you that gift and this series and this last talk on joy is our attempt to give you that gift of recognizing joy and allowing it to expand your capacity to hold the inevitable sorrows that come in life without letting those things define you. I'd like us to um, indulge an exercise in imagination. I'm going to ask Tom Cook to come up and provide some music for us. Oh, let's say this will be seven minutes and 38 seconds, roughly. <laughs> so find uh, that place of comfort, probably feet flat on the floor. And I want you to, first of all, recognize how well gravity's holding you. Like, you're just secure. Isn't gravity a lovely thing? Like, we're just anchored. So you're there, very secure. And I want you to imagine a summer day. Really lovely and warm and a soft breeze. Let's call it 79. No humidity. And you're sitting by a lake. Become conscious of your breathing. Breathe in. Hold it for just a second. And then breathe out. Let those other thoughts pass by like little twigs on the water in front of you float away. You don't need to pay attention to those right now. You're just aware of how lovely it is. How amazing to breathe in oxygen and breathe out carbon dioxide. What, a, what an incredible symbiosis with the plant life around you that breathes out oxygen and breathes in carbon dioxide. Wow. What a great symbiotic relationship we have with the creation that God made as a mirror for us. You get to breathe in what it breathes out and it breathes in what you breathe out. And I want you to imagine Jesus coming to sit next to you. He doesn't have to be robed and bearded. Could be in modern clothes, but you know for sure this man is Jesus Christ. And you're surprised and you're not at the same time. And he just comes down and sits next to you. I mean like right, right next to you. Like shoulders are touching. And your impulse is to speak, to ask some questions. And he holds his hands up. Maybe you even want to hear his voice. 
And he just says, can we just be quiet? Can I just sit next to you for a few minutes where we're not talking? You don't have anything you need to say to me. I don't have anything I need to say. I just, I just want to be next to you. And you can feel even the warmth of his arm and shoulder. Maybe even knees are touching, like right next to you. Moisture even from him coming through his shirt or garment to you. Will you let Jesus drink in your presence? That's all he wants for now. There'll be, there'll be other times you can talk or listen. It's just nearness that he wants. Just presence. And I want you to breathe in this pattern. Breathe in, in your presence. Breathe out. There is fullness of joy. Breathe in, in your presence. And hold it like you're just holding your presence of Jesus in your lungs and you breathe out, there is fullness of joy. And you can feel your capacity to contain things just expanding with every breath in, the warmth of Jesus sitting next to you, the knowledge that he desires just to be next to you is enough to expand your heart, your ability to take stuff in. foundation of language and hold exist and hold behold I think you can do both with sorrow Jesus was known as a man of sorrows and joy I've come to bring you joy fullness of joy in your presence there's fullness of joy behold You've got it within you to behold both. I'm just going to read Psalm 16 as you um, come back into a recognition of the now. I'm going to read it as if I were saying it to Jesus. Protect me, Jesus, for in you I take refuge. I say, you're my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the holy ones in the land, they're the noble in whom is all my delight. Those who choose another God multiply their sorrows. 
Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their name upon my lips. Lord, you're my chosen portion, my cup. You hold my lot. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I have such a goodly heritage. I bless you, Jesus, who gives me counsel. In the night, my heart instructs me. I keep you, Jesus, always before me because you're at my right hand. I'm not going to be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my soul rejoices. My body also rests secure. You're not going to give me up to Sheol or let me see the pit. You show me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Thank you, Tom. So what is it that you carry? Unfulfilled desires or broken relationship or failure, sickness, anger. You can acknowledge them without giving them authority to define you. Part of this is just uh, growing emotionally. I love the story Linda gave last week as she was talking about forgiveness and how frustrated she was. End of the day, kids are in the car, they're waiting for Zach, and he's taking a call she can see in the office and recognizing, you know, nobody's done something that needs to be forgiven here. It's just my emotional capacity to hold those things that like just aren't working out the way that I wanted. That's what I want to help us grow in, that emotional capacity to weather things that will come. Some of it will come because of someone else's idiocy. And some of it just comes and no one's to blame. And, and we walk through those things. The book suggests that there is something about being in the company of others who like being in your company. I'll include Jesus in that crew. <laughs> the face of Jesus, that nearness of Jesus, that exercise, like you can go there and think about Jesus not really, ch -ch -ch, don't let, like, just don't talk. I don't want to talk right now. Like, can we just, can we just be next to each other? That place. There's joy in that. And there's joy in being with people who like being with you. And there are times like uh, when 
Peter invited us to imagine a time where we experienced joy. I went back to when I was coming home from work and my kids just going berserk, wanting to see me. And maybe Janine a little bit too (laughs) ready for someone to come. But like, they were just glad to see me. Oh, that felt so good. And even today, like they're adults, and they come in and we're just glad to be in one another's presence and just sitting around the dinner. Like those are those moments where like I get fed, I get fueled. My joy gives me just a little more room to contain things that are hard. Uh, I also think about summer days out on our patio when we'll have some friends around and we're just laughing until we're crying. That kind of moment with friends. The presence of Jesus, the presence of others, the joy of being with Jesus who just likes being around you, the joy of being with others who just like being around you. Those are ways that we can recapture that. The authors talk about creating that space every day to come into those places to remember that there are people who like being with them and that they like being with and giving themselves a little taste of that through their recollection, through their memory. I hope building that memory of sitting next to Jesus on a summer day in a really fine place outdoors is a place you can go to again and again. There's also... I think in Francis and in Claire, a young woman who follows Francis, another amazing story. Maybe someday I'll tell the story of Claire. Both these individuals found a measure of joy in this sense of purpose, calling. I think in, in our youth and some of you who are younger, there's still this this quest for what is my, what's the meaning, purpose, sense of identity. That's a great quest. That takes some time to locate. Be patient with yourself. Probably you'll look back and think, oh yeah, I kind of knew that. I kind of knew that back then. I didn't quite recognize it. Francis may have looked back and seen ways in which encounters with people on the margins had some kind of spark for him. You know, for me, it's uh, supervising my staff team or being with students in the, in the crucible of mission or ministry together. Like that gives life, that expands my ability to take on hard things. That and writing. As I get older, those are my two things that I feel like I think I was made for these things. There's a saying amongst writers, I hate writing, I love having written. Um, And that's true. There's, you know, for Janine, it's art and teaching. And there are those places where like you're just sitting in front of that blank paper or that blank canvas and it's like, this is hard, I hate this. And then when you're done, you're like, I so love this. (laughs) Meaning and purpose leaning into those, embracing those. Or if you're young, 
pursuing those, finding those things out, getting those hints. I can identify my first hints at um, wanting to serve the church, wanting to be in ministry at age seven, and wanting to write at about age 10. I don't know that I would have described those as life purpose, but I look back now, that was it. Francis and Claire become these cloud of witnesses. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight. Those things that we thought were pleasures. Those things that just choke and entangle us. The sin that clings so closely. Let us run with perseverance the race that's set before us. That sense of purpose. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him, the joy of being in that moment by the lake next to you, endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. We're surrounded by these witnesses like Francis and Claire. Let is, let's live into our sense of purpose and calling. Let's live into those moments of joy without ignoring the hard stuff, without having to pretend it doesn't exist. You have the ability, the capacity to hold it. The presence of Jesus, the presence of those who love to be in your presence, and that idea of living into a sense of meaning and purpose and calling, those are things that give you that power. You can hold both well. You don't have to spiral in and uh, locate yourself only in the sorrow and the suffering. Nor do you have to use the joy like a cover-up for the hard things. You can do both. You can hold both. So joy Jesus had was in the community of the Trinity. That was the joy before Jesus. That sense of community and belonging as well as that foretaste of being with you, connected to you, sitting right next to you, that allowed Jesus the capacity to endure what Jesus endured. So let's move now in this place of joy. We're going to move in February to the idea of love, I said love, connected to joy as well. Let's remember these things about joy. They're central to our faith journey. It's not that difficulty or hardship or suffering isn't. It's just that joy gives us the capacity to carry those things really well. 
Let me pray for us. Send us out with joy. Jesus, we're grateful for your kindness and astounded that you just like being with us. I'm not sure I always like being with me. But it's so good to remember that you do. Thank you for the faces of friends and my children where I see in their eyes their gladness to be with me. Not always, but those times that they do just fills me. Lord, you see those disappointments, those things that I thought surely by now I would have published that fiction novel and all those things that feel like weights. You see those things. And so do I. I can carry those things. I can hold them. And it won't undo me. Because you're at my right hand, sitting right next to me, I will not be shaken. We bless you. We thank you. We celebrate you. Amen.